Amen. Let's thank God one more time for our children. I believe in Jesus. Hallelujah. What a blessing. What a blessing. Uh, Book of Matthew is where you can find us this morning. So good to see everyone here this morning. As we continue in our series on Peter, uh, although today we won't continue in 1 Peter, uh, obviously we'll jump to Matthew, where we'll jump up about 30,000 feet and talk about Matthew's life. Uh, I mean, talk about Peter's life. We'll talk about Peter's life um, as he's been teaching us in 1 Peter for the last few weeks about suffering and rejoicing and all. Today we're going to intentionally look at Peter's life and God's call on his life. Would you stand with me as we read God's word together this morning? Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. Remember, this is our Father's word. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers. Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. Uh, They were casting a net into the lake, uh, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Let's pray together. God, we thank you. God, as the children were singing that song, I believe in Jesus Christ. God, I couldn't help but say amen in my soul. Father, we believe in you. We rest in you. We've come together, gathered in your name to worship you today. God, I thank you for the privilege of being able just to come and show up on a Sunday morning and to bless your name openly. There are no security guards on the street watching for the authorities, but we have the freedom to come and to publicly declare your glory, declare your worth, and to open up your word and sing Zion songs to your glory. So for that, we have an attitude of gratitude. We are thankful for who you are and the freedom and the liberty that we have to openly bless your name. So today we come together to bless your name. We pray that this would be a Sunday where we, we've come in one way, but God, that we would leave changed, transformed, made better by the power of your word. God, I pray that as we open up your word this morning, that you would open up our hearts, open up our ears, open up our minds, that we, exp- that we may experience all that you have for us today. Uh, be with us in this place. God, I pray that you would stand in my body, think through my mind, speak through my vocal cords. God, may the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart, God, today, may they be acceptable in thy sight. Oh, Lord, you are my strength. Oh, God, you are my redeemer. And we bless your name. In Jesus' name, every heart said amen. 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 You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Growing up around Christmas time, I always loved the song, uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer had a very shiny nose. And if you ever saw it, you would even say it glows. Well, it goes on. That was like the little Mel Torme uh, version of that. <laughs> so I've, been, I've been in Lake Avenue too long. Um, but... Uh, but, but uh, <laughs> I can already tell this is going to be a good service. Um, 
it, it goes on to say all of the other reindeers used to laugh and call him names. They never let poor Rudolph play in any reindeer games. Ah, but one foggy Christmas Eve, Santa came to say, Rudolph, with that nose of yours so shiny and so bright, why don't you guide my sleigh tonight? Out of all the other reindeer, I, I know other reindeer have cast you aside. They've disqualified you. They've said you're, you're no good and they've picked on you and made fun of you. But Rudolph, I want to use you to guide my sleigh. There's a principle there that we find in Peter's life as well. How Santa shows the most unlikely character, the most unlikely candidate to be used to guide his sleigh. Well, Peter's life shows us how time and time again, God chooses the most unlikely of characters to be used by his hand for their life so that so their life can bring him glory. God consistently chooses unqualified people, disqualified people, people that should not get the job, people who don't deserve the gig, people who shouldn't be used by the almighty God. He consistently chooses them over and over again to be used by him. This morning, I want to talk about unlikely candidates, people who don't deserve it, people who are unqualified, folk who aren't good enough, people who other people have looked at and said, you don't deserve it, you shouldn't have it. But somehow, some way, God and his divine sovereignty reaches into our lives and uses us for his glory. If you feel insignificant, insecure, insufficient, you picked a good Sunday to come to church because today I want to talk about how God uses people just like you for his glory. It doesn't start in the New Testament. It doesn't even start with Peter. It starts all the way back with Moses. God calls Moses. Now you talk about a guy who's unqualified. Moses was a murderer. Murdered, murdered, murdered folk and took off and went running. And God found him, grabbed him and said, Moses, I want to use you. And notice, he didn't say, Moses, I want to use you to go and murder people because I know you did that before. He didn't say, Moses, I want you to go and I want you to run something because you can run really good because you ran away. He says, I want to use you and I want to use your mouth and I want you to speak. The interesting thing about that is the text shows us, the scripture tells us that Moses had some type of speech impediment. We don't know what it was, but we just know that Moses wasn't the guy you wanted speaking at your wedding. We, we know that. He, he's not the guy you want to give it a toast because it would took him a long time to get it out. He, he wasn't a guy who was eloquent of speech. And, and, and Jesus says, no, I want to use the very thing that you're insecure about. I want to use your weakness. I want to use your mouth and I want you to go and I don't want you to go and talk and speak to the people who are out there watching the camels. No, I want you to go and speak to Pharaoh. And I want you to tell Pharaoh that your God said, let his people go. What you want me to do, God? He says, yeah. I, I want to use you. I want to use your imperfections. I want to use the very thing that other people would look on and say, ah, don't get him. But I'm the God of all creation. And Moses, I want to use you to use your mouth to speak on my behalf. <laughs> God uses the unlikely to bring about his glory. Uh, I just think about when God's sitting up in heaven and he's 
sends his son Jesus to step out of glory and to put on flesh and to dwell among us. Who, who, who would he use to bring forth such an amazing son? Who would he use to bring forth such an amazing child? Well, he chooses this uh, not so cute girl from the ghetto named Mary. Oh, oh, yeah, I see y'all, y'all, y'all don't understand. Let me, let me help you. Why, why is she uncute? Well, I, I'm not going to lay my theological hat down here. Don't, don't, don't hold me to this. But the book of Isaiah, uh, it, it alludes to the idea. It says that Jesus was, um, was, 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 did not have beauty that one would desire him. Uh, uh, he, he had less than average looks. And uh, if, if Isaiah says that about Jesus, you've got to answer. I just say, well, where does Jesus get his looks from? Well, genetically, that comes from your mama and your daddy. Well, Jesus' daddy, Joseph, was disqualified because he had nothing to do with the deal. So now you got Mary and the Holy Spirit. And out of the two, I'm not trying to say the Holy Spirit ain't that cute. So <laughs> let's just say he get it from his mama. <laughs> So he chooses Mary, and she's from Nazareth. Now, Nazareth is this little town that's known for being unknown. It's known for its lack of significance, no relevance at all. As a matter of fact, in the book of John, when Philip is recruiting Nathan, he calls calls Nathan, and he says, says, Nathan, man, you got to come, man. Jesus is, I mean, he's the Messiah. Nathan's like, yeah, 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 Jesus is, is the, was the one, he's the one that Moses talked about. Nathan's like, yeah, 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 yeah. And then Philip says, and, and he's, he's, he's the son of Joseph from Nazareth. He says, Nazareth? Can any good thing come from Nazareth? Implication, Nazareth is this town that ain't, it's not even worthy of mentioning. And the, the, the Messiah going to come from Nazareth? Nazareth of like Beverly Hills? Oh, oh, no, no, no. Nazareth like the hood Nazareth? No, uh-uh. That can't be Jesus. That's what I say. Doesn't matter where you start. It's how you finish. That, doesn't matter where you come from. It, what, what, what matters is when God gets a hold of you, regardless of wherever you are, how God, when he gets a hold of you, he will transform your life. Can any good thing come from Nazareth? Yeah, when God gets his hand on it, you will be amazed what could happen. Can any good thing come from a single parent home? Yeah, when God gets his hand on it, you will be amazed. Can any good thing come from a high school dropout? Yeah, when God gets his hand on it, you will be amazed. Can any good thing come from a, 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 a divorced couple? Can any good thing come from an old adulterer? Can any good thing come from someone who's, who, who's quit on somebody? You, you will be amazed of what God could do once he gets his hand on you. He will transform your life regardless of where you're from, from, how bad your beginnings were, what you had as a child, what you didn't have as a child, what you didn't receive, what you did receive. When God puts his hand on you, you will be amazed at what he can do with your life. Don't underestimate the power of God. So Jesus is walking the shores of Galilee and he sees 
Peter and he calls Peter this unlikely character. You got to know to be a disciple of a rabbi, you had to be the best of the best. You were chosen and you were sought out. The rabbis would come and they would see you and they would take the cream of the crop and they would go and they would begin this, this apprenticeship. But, but now those that didn't get selected by rabbis, they would go and take up the family business. So here you have Peter. He's out fishing. That means he didn't make the cut. He wasn't the best of the best. He was out doing his family business. And as a matter of fact, Jesus shows up on a day when he's fishing and he wasn't even doing that good. He didn't even catch any fish that day. Jesus shows up and calls this unlikely kid to come and be a part of his kingdom, be a part of his ministry. So Peter follows him. This morning, I want to I talk to those of you that look at your life and you see every reason why you should be disqualified. You see every reason why, why, why you're insignificant and why you shouldn't be the one chosen. You see every reason why you're not good enough to be a follower and a pursuer of Jesus Christ. But for some reason you've made up in your mind to follow him. If Peter, Peter was here, I, I, I would love to glean from his life some of the, some of the attributes of, of Peter. Peter. Peter follows Jesus. And as he's following Jesus, we, we want to learn today from Peter uh, uh, some, some things that we need to anticipate on this journey with Jesus. Uh, uh, as Peter's following Jesus, we want to look at Peter's life and, and learn some things that, that we should anticipate when we follow Jesus. Peter's going to teach us through his life uh, things that we should be prepared for. Uh, these are things that you should expect. If you want to be this unlikely candidate who follows Jesus, you should be prepared for these three things. Now, now there's nothing exhaustive about this three things list. It's just in, in homiletics at school, they tell you you should at least have three. Um, if you've got a PhD like Dr. Waybright, you can have eight. Um, but when you've got a GED like Albert Tate, you do good with three. Amen. <laughs> So I got three points. There, there are many more, but I got three because three is, is what I got. Um, all right. Peter says, if you're going to be this unlikely follower of Jesus Christ, the first thing that you need to plan and anticipate and prepare for is failure. Failure. The reason why I can relate with Peter so much is because this guy, he, he consistently misses the mark. This guy fails over and over again. And, and, and Peter's the guy that you're rooting for, and, and he rises to the occasion, and then he rises up, and then he messes up. I mean, he, he rises up, and then he messes up time and time again. And Peter will tell you, man, if you're going to follow Jesus Christ, you've got to be prepared to experience some failures because Peter knew failure well. Peter, Peter, Peter was really funny. Peter, Peter, they're sitting around with Jesus, and Jesus got the disciples, and they're all sitting around. And Jesus says, so, so who do men say that I am? When y'all out there passing out the fish and the loaves of bread and stuff, what are people saying? What, what, what do people say? Who do people say that I am? And they say, well, Jesus, some say you're Elijah, the prophet from long ago. You know, people got their opinions about you. And then Jesus says this. Watch this. He says, who do you say that I am? And Peter, like a, like a kid in the class with his hand up, me, 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 Peter. He says, Peter, what do you say? Jesus, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. You are the promised one, the ones that the prophets spoke of. You are the Messiah, the one that has come to save us. 
Jesus, man, you can see, the, you can see him pr- like a proud daddy. You can see him. He says, now, boy, that's what I'm talking about, Peter. Boy, that's, that's what I'm talking about. He says, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. The Spirit of the Lord told you that, Peter. Well, I like you, Peter. I knew there was something about you. I love you, Peter. You can just tell. He was just proud of him. And then Jesus goes into this discourse, and he goes to talk. talk. He says, all right, Peter, you, you are right. I, I am the Christ. Of, <laughs> And then he says, all right, so let me tell you what you should expect. He says, I'm, I'm going to be persecuted. As a matter of fact, I'm going, be, I'm going to be persecuted and rejected by the religious leaders. Um, he says, it, it's going to get so bad, y'all. Um, they're, going to, they're going to crucify me. They're going to put me on the cross. They're going to persecute me, and they're going to, they're going to kill me. They're going to take my very life. Peter interrupts. says, no, no, Jesus, Jesus, you just wrong. Jesus, I rebuke you. Peter, how are you going to rebuke Jesus? That's Jesus. You just said he was a Messiah. Now you rebuking Jesus. Peter, sit down. Be, be quiet. You in biblical timeout. You can't speak for another three chapters. Go, just go, just go. You are done. Jesus looks at him and says, Satan, get thee behind me. You see, he rises up and then he just messes up. I mean, when, when, when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane and, and, the, and Jesus has been telling them this whole time that, that I'm going to be persecuted. They, they're going to take me away and I'm going to die and I'm going to give my life. The soldiers are going to come. They're going to take me away and I'm going to die, give my life. So the soldiers are coming and you almost see it. It looks like it's slow motion. The soldiers are coming and Jesus is preparing himself to be taken away and the violins are, are playing in the background, you know, and this music and the scene is set. And all of a sudden you hit a record scratch and Peter pulls out a sword and, and cuts the guy's ear off. And can't you see Jesus looking like, Peter, what are you doing? Oh, man. I'm sorry, man. Here you go. I'm sorry. Here you go. All right. Peter, man, you go back in the corner. You're in timeout again, you know? It's like he rises up to this moment and then he messes up. And then the one that we all see and that we all resonate with is when they're at the table and Jesus says, somebody at this table is going to deny me. And you hear Peter's, never, never me. I'll never deny you, Jesus. He says, no, somebody at this table is going to deny me and Peter is going to be you. And before the cock crows three times tonight, you would have, you would have denied me. And we all read that passage, and when that last crow happens, Peter realizes that he's failed. I don't know about you, but I can see my own failure in Peter there. I I can see my own failure in Peter, and it reminds me of how many times I have failed Christ, how many times I've denied him, and I resonate with Peter so much in that moment. But I love it because Peter denies Christ. But then on the day of Pentecost, you see he rises up and declares Christ. It's beautiful because every time you see a failure with Peter, you always see a grace with Peter. Because every time failure shows up, grace shows up. And every time he messes up, the grace of God rises up. And that grace rises up and it carries him past his failures into his place of destiny. The failure never shows up by itself, but God always allows the grace to show up, picks Peter up, and it carries him to a place of destiny. 
destiny. So on the day of Pentecost, when the Spirit of the Lord fell, that grace carried Peter past his failures, and he was able to stand and declare and decree the Word of God and say, this is that that the prophet Joel spoke of, that your sons and daughters will prophesy. This is the Messiah that we've been waiting on. And on that day, some thousands of people come and join the body of Christ. It's it's that grace of God that shows up in Peter's life. It's that grace that carries him past his failure. You never see Peter wallowing in his mistakes, but you always see him embracing the grace and allowing that grace to carry him into this wonderful place of destiny. Any failures in the house this morning? Anybody showed up and as you look over the year, as you look over the months, some of you, you just look over the 24 hours and you can see how you failed God and how this has become a theme in your life. And consistently you can see how you try, but you fail and you try and you fail. I want you to hear me today that failure never shows up without the grace of God. And the grace of God is present and ready to carry you beyond your failure into a place so that you can be used by the hand of God. Failures, I hope you're here this morning. I hope you're here this morning. If you came in with a bowed down head, I want you to allow the grace of God to lift you up and to recognize that you, that God still wants to use you. If he can use somebody like Peter who messed up time and time again, he can use you. If he can use somebody like Albert Tate, who's messed up time and time again, I'm telling you, he can use you. But you got to embrace the grace of God that's there to carry you beyond your failure, beyond your mistake. Yeah, 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 yeah. It happened and you missed the mark, but don't lay there. You have to allow the grace of God to lift you up and to carry you beyond your failure. You can't stay there. Failure never shows up without grace. I um I got an invitation to go and speak to some high school seniors. And the Lord gave me a message uh for these high school seniors. Uh and, and it's one of those unpopular messages, but um I gave it and I, and I showed up and I said, uh, my my wish for you, high school seniors, my my desire, my prayer for you uh is is that I, I hope you fail. I hope you fail. Uh, now, any of you that do ministry, and the Lord speaks to you. This is one of those messages where you want to get the check first. Um, you you want to get that on the front end. Um, but, 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 but I stood, y'all, and I said, I hope you fail. I hope you fail so miserably that you're forced to fall down on your knees and come to the end of yourself. I hope you fail. I hope you run out of options. I hope you hit a wall so hard that it forces you with tears in your eyes to have to call home to your mom and daddy only to find out that they can't help you. I hope you fail. I hope you fall and you get so low that you have nowhere else to look but up. I hope you fail. I hope you come to the end of yourself and realize that you desperately need something that's bigger than you to get you out of the mess that you got yourself into. I hope you fail. I hope you realize that your life is not your own and you can't control your life and you desperately need someone greater than yourself to save you and to deliver you out of your trouble. I hope you fail to the point to where you're forced down on your knees and you have to look up to heaven and say, Lord, if you don't help me, no one else will. I 
hope you fell. I hope you fail. I hope it, I hope it gets so bad to where a check can't get you out of it. Money can't get you out of it. The doctors can't get you out of it. You're forced to call on the God of your salvation and say, Lord, I need that resurrection power present in my life. I hope you fail. See, some of us, we hear that and we cringe because the enemy can trap you with your love for success. But listen, God didn't call you to be successful. He called you to be faithful because he knew that there are times when success will be thrown out of the window and all you will have is your, 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 your 401k and all of that stuff. And once all that's gone, what else do you have left? He says, I, want, I, I, I hope you lose enough. For you to recognize that your stuff is never enough. Ah, that was good. I got to say that again. I said, I hope you lose enough. To the point to where you realize your stuff is never enough. I need Jesus. I need the grace of God. I can't make it by myself. I can't do this marriage on my own. I can't raise these kids on my own. I can't do this job on my own. Lord, I need your help. Talking about the kind of grace that carries you. Paul, this is what Paul is trying to tell us when he says, he says, it was in my weakness. It was when I got so low that I knew God to be a, a strong tower. He says, says, in my weakness, the Lord's strength was made perfect in my life. How do you get the perfect strength of the Lord active in your life? Get weak. Become broken. If you're a failure in here today, I want you to know you may have failed, but you're not a failure. You're a son and you're a daughter of God. And there's a grace. Ah, I feel this presence of the Lord. There's a grace that's ready to lift you up. You don't have to stay there. You don't have to dwell and, and, and stick in your mud. I'm telling you, there's a grace that has come to lift you up. Ah, it says he, there's an old song in the old black church we used to sing. It says he picked me up, he turned me around, and he placed my feet on a solid ground. And that's what that grace does. It'll show up in your mess. It'll show up in your failure, and it'll pick you up turn you around and it'll place your feet on a solid ground. It'll put you in a place where you could never get yourself. Some of us, that's our problem. Everywhere we got, we got ourselves there. So we don't have the privilege of being able to say to God be the glory. We say to my degree be the glory. To my check be the glory. To my boss be the glory. I hope you lose enough to where it drives you to the point where you say, you know what, my check, my money is funny. And my boss is acting crazy. My 401k is now a 401a because I lost everything. And I know that God is the mainstay. Oh, Lord, I got to move on. But I hope you fail. If you, haven't, if you haven't become acutely aware of the grace of God in your life, 
And if you come into this place today and you're walking arrogantly in your own confidence and you think that it is by your own will and your own power and your own strength that you stand, my greatest prayer, my greatest desire for you is that you fail so miserably until you're forced to see that if it had not been for the Lord who's been holding your hand, you would not be here today. Peter will tell you, it is because of my failures and the grace of God that showed up in the midst of my failure that carried me to the place where I could stand and declare God's glory with conviction. Number two. Number two won't be as long, maybe. Not. I don't know. I hope you fail. Uh, Failure and grace always go together. Um, secondly, he would say, not only prepare for failure. Secondly, he would say, prepare, anticipate, plan on suffering. Suffering. Oh, yeah, this is going to be such an encouraging sermon for you this morning. He says, prepare, anticipate, plan on suffering. Uh, suffering. In First Peter, he's consistently telling us in this series that Dr. Waybright has been walking us through. He's consistently telling us that, that although you're suffering, have joy. And you got Paul echoing it. Paul would say, rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice. <sighs> Most theologians would agree that Peter, when he died, was martyred. Some early church writers, some would even allude to the fact that when he died, he was to be crucified. And he, he suggested, don't crucify me right side up. But crucify me upside down because I dare not be crucified in the same way my master was. So when Peter's taking us to the woodshed and hammering out this whole idea of suffering in in 1 Peter, he knows what he's talking about. But what they say is when you suffer, don't excuse or dismiss joy. Because they're not exclusive. They go together. He says, society will tell you if you're suffering, then joy isn't present. Or if joy is present, then suffering must be absent. No, Paul and Peter are pushing us. He says, when suffering is present, joy is present. And you can still have joy with suffering still in the room. That they both go hand in hand and you got to learn how to do both. And he says, and, and Paul would say, and do it well. That's why he says it twice. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Where are you writing from, uh, Paul? I'm in prison, by the way. He, 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 he's pushing us to receive this idea that suffering and joy both coexist. They, they have to go together. And, 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 and just because joy is there doesn't mean suffering isn't there. And just because suffering is there doesn't mean joy isn't there. And I love it because they're not in some sense of denial. Uh, some people would say, Albert, Albert, you, you're just in denial. You're not in, you're not really embracing the reality of your hard time. You, you just don't get it. You're in the, one of the five stages of grief and you're just in the denial. No, 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 no. They're, they're not saying dismiss the, the, the reality. They knew they were in prison. They knew they were about to give their life. Paul knew he was getting beat up. He wasn't in denial. It was clear. I am suffering for the cause of Christ, but I still have joy. They will push you. No, 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 no. Don't deny the realities. You take the realities, all of the complexities of your problem. Take the reality of your suffering and put it on the table. And then you take the reality of your God and the bigness and the greatness of your God and you put it on the table and you will see that time and time again, God is bigger than your problems. God is bigger.
greater than your reality. And God's grace can cover you in the time of your suffering. It's in some denial. I remember I was in the sixth grade. We found out my mother was pregnant. My mother was in her mid-40s, and she had no business being pregnant. I don't know how that happened. Um, But somehow, immaculately, immaculately this thing happened. Um, Shout out to my mom. She'll love that I said that. Um, I remember coming home, and my mother had a little girl. Her name was Bethany. Bethany was born prematurely. And she only lived for six weeks. Uh, That's why my little girl, um, we named her Bethany. I remember going uh, to the hospital. When we found out Bethany had passed away. Uh, Back then, they did things a little differently in the South. Uh, We had our own memorial grounds. We had our own memorial garden. My family owned a lot of land there in our area. So we had our own memorial grounds. So the doctors allowed us to take little Bethany home ourselves. Um, and I remember we had a family van. I remember being in the van and sitting in the back. And I remember saying, this is Bethany's first ride home. This is her first ride in the family van. And there she was, passed away. And we were carrying her home. I remember getting home. And my granddaddy was out in the woodshed and he was uh, carving out a, a wooden casket for my little baby sister. I remember us sitting in the living room, waiting to go down to the, to the memorial service, and my aunties, I remember Aunt Vicky sitting there, and Aunt Vicky was, she was holding my little sister, and she was holding little Bethany, and she was saying, look at her eyes, she's got Connie's eyes, and look at that nose, she's... She's got Sterling's nose, and I remember Aunt Vicky would pass her over to Aunt Ernestine, and they were passing my, my, my little sister around, and in that moment in the room, we were singing, and, and we were crying, and, and someone would say something funny, and we'd just start laughing, and we were singing and crying and laughing, and I remember being in the sixth grade and not understanding how my little dead sister could be there, but we authentically in the room laughing and having the time of our life. And what it was, it was the joy of the Lord. And he was our strength. Nehemiah would say that the joy of the Lord, when you really trust him, he'll carry you through hard times. And when you don't feel like you can go on, when you don't feel like you can take another step, the joy of the Lord will hold you together and it'll be your strength. So my mother would have tears running down her face and be laughing all at the same time because suffering and joy were living in the same room, working together for the good of his children who loved him. I'm telling you this morning, if you're suffering, tap into the joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord will carry you when you can't carry yourself. The joy of the Lord will be your strength when you feel like giving up, when you feel like throwing in the towel. The joy of the Lord will get you through a day. People are wondering, child, how are you smiling? How are you holding it together? And you'll be able to say, it's the joy of the Lord. I just got strength out of nowhere. I don't even know how I'm standing here, but the Lord is carrying me.
The joy of the Lord will be your strength. Anybody suffering today? I know you're in here. And listen to me, I know it's hard. I'm not asking you to go into some soft place of denial. I'm asking you to pull the realities out and put them on the table. And I'm telling you, when you open up and you expose the realities of how big your God was. I knew my little sister was dead. I knew she was gone, but I knew the reality of God. And what what God says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And he says, don't be concerned about those who are asleep. For when the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, the dead in Christ will be the first to rise. I knew it wasn't goodbye, Bethany. I knew it was just goodnight, Bethany, because I would see you in the morning. So embrace the reality of both your problems and your God. And you will see that your God is bigger than your problems. Suffering and joy go together. Hallelujah. Failure and grace. Suffering and joy. Finally, Peter would, Peter would say, when you, when you find yourself Walking on this journey with Jesus Christ, expect, anticipate, and prepare for temptation. Temptation. Uh, the idea here is in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is praying and, and Peter and the guys, they're out there sleeping. Jesus wakes up and he comes out and he, he wakes up Peter. Jesus comes out and he wakes up Peter and he says, Peter, you need to be careful. He says, Peter, you need to watch and pray lest you fall into temptation. Because, Peter, your problem is your your spirit is willing. Your, Your spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak. Uh, 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 you, you got this great zeal, and I know you want to do the right thing, but Peter, your flesh, man, your flesh is really weak. And, and what happens, the idea of temptations is, is you've got this thing that God has called you to do, but there are all these distractions pu- pu- pulling you other directions, and, and all these distractions pulling you away from the things of God, and all these things that are pulling you away from your purpose and your destiny. And, and, and Jesus says, Peter, you got to be careful because you, you want to look at the right thing, but you got all these distractions that are pulling you away. And he says, Peter, you need to watch and pray. You, you, you need to watch and pray. Implication, when you pray, you receive power and victory over your temptations. It says, when you pray, you receive power and victory over your distractions, over your temptations. Old preacher in Jackson, Mississippi used to say, little prayer, little power. A lot of prayer, a lot of power. No prayer, no power. It's amazing to me how much we do in the name of the Lord on such little prayer. Anybody struggling with temptation this morning? Anybody, you, you see, I, I know I want to do this, but I've got all these distractions. I, my, my heart and in my spirit and my soul, I really want to be faithful to my wife, but I've got all these distractions. I, 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 I really want to be a good steward of my finances, but I've got, I've got all these distractions. Macy's and Ross and, and Target. Uh, hello in the room. You didn't just didn't think I was going to pick on the men, did you? Uh, 
I, I, I want to do the right thing, but I got all of these distractions. I want to go to college and I want to live for Jesus, but I got the drinking and the parties and the sex and the weed and the pornography. I got all of these distractions. I want to do the right thing. It's not like I'm living in denial of where God is coming. I want to do the right thing, but I got all these distractions. And Jesus is saying, Peter would tell us today, when you're tempted with all of these distractions, focus, watch, and pray. Become a person of prayer because it is in prayer where you find the power to stand against the wiles of the enemy. It is in prayer where you receive the power that gives you victory over your temptations. Peter would say, I had to become a man of prayer lest I be consumed by the wiles of the devil. Some of you today, you're on the verge of being consumed by the wiles of the devil. I'm convinced. I am convinced that there are some people that showed up today. And you're on the borderline. You're in the midst of something. And you're, the temptation is so strong. And you're almost, almost about to slip. I, I, I thank God that he brought you here today because I'm telling you, watch and pray. Pray, pray. Fall before your heavenly Father. Because prayer not only changes things, prayer changes people. Failure. That's always a grace for you. If you came in this place feeling like a failure, know that you're not a failure. You're a son, you're a daughter of God. And God's got a grace for you today. Embrace the grace and allow that grace to carry you to the place that he's destined for you. If you came here today and you're suffering, ah, find the joy. See the joy of the Lord because that's where your strength lies. And if you're in this place today and your life is filled with distractions, if you're tempted, pray. While the enemy prays, P-R-E-Y-S, you pray, P-R-A-Y. Because there's a victory when you pray to his glory. Amen.